Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where James Bond has nothing on us this week. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beach Keaton. BJ Keaton. This is true. Uh, today, we are talking about not James Bond. We're talking about Hitman, but that's actually the next game from this developer, which is why I was top of mind. Um, yeah, so it's going to be really cool. Yeah, it should be sweet. Uh, Hitman 3 just came out, and I am basically playing this and nothing else because I've talked on here before about how much I came to really appreciate Hitman, and then Hitman 2 was like one of my games of the year, and now they're all together in this one package in Hitman 3, and it's probably, when you consider the whole package, one of my favorite games of all time. And that, when I didn't actually realize that Hitman 3 was coming out when it did, that I thought it was a later in the year release and so when i started seeing all of the stuff about it i was like oh oh this is gonna take like his entire first quarter like i'm (laughs) glad that there aren't a whole lot of games coming out like that we were really looking forward to because it's gonna take all your time yeah it's gonna take my time for a while and then it'll probably go into a back burner slot where it's kind of a forever game like i can just keep playing this game between other things or as a break from other things and that's great um so I, I don't even know where to start with this one because I feel like I am really this episode's probably going to be Hitman 3 but also the World of Assassination trilogy because in my mind you can't really separate them as cleanly as you can with other game series where you have like game 1, game 2, game 3 because these were always intended to be a trilogy and they were all intended to be forward compatible. So in Hitman 3 right now because I own Hitman 1, because I own Hitman 2 and I linked my account up in Hitman 3 all of the content, all the levels, all the story, all of my progress from Hitman 1 and 2 is in the Hitman 3 client. So I have the World of Assassination trilogy in one game client now, and it's so cool because they went back and, you know, they they make all of the improvements that they made to the engine and the systems of the game in the latest iteration, so in Hitman 3, they reverse applied those back to 2 and 1 and all the graphic upgrades and all of the, like, just everything. Like, they went and they basically retroactively polish up the old levels without really changing them. Mm-hmm. Um but they bring all of the the improvements backwards so that it's consistent and you can play it all in one game client. And that's just so cool to me. Does any of that ever break a level? Because they've introduced new gadgets and new systems. Does it ever, going back to like Hitman 1 using this engine and some of the levels that they had designed, does it ever just make it, I don't know, easier or or, or just seem like you can tell that it's an earlier level somehow? Not really. I mean, there are certain things that they introduced in Hitman 2 and then new things they introduced in Hitman 3 that aren't present in those earlier levels, but it isn't stuff that you can carry backwards so it doesn't break anything okay you know so like hitman 3 it didn't actually add that many like individual mechanics but that's not that's not what it's about it's more about the levels and the situations and all of that design that goes into it um you know but they added one of the mechanics is like having keypads and you actually have to go around and like figure out what a keypad password is in a couple of Mm. the levels and so like they have a couple safes with it or they have a couple doors with access pads um where you have to figure out what the pin is and those were never part of Hitman 2 or 1. So if you go back and play those levels, it's just not part of the level. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I, I see that. So yeah. I'm also curious about this one before you get really into the like the weeds of it. With This one is the first next generation one. Like this one was designed for just the PS5 and Xbox, right? So this yes. one doesn't have any PS4 or Xbox One limitations on it. 
is it obvious that it is a next generation thing or is that just a kind of fidelity upgrade? Is it, um, is, is it, yeah, you know what I mean? It, yeah, I do. It's mostly a fidelity thing. Um, and it's the thing I noticed. Well, first of all, I should say it is on PS4 and it is on Xbox One. So oh, is can, it? Yeah. I didn't actually, I actually thought it was just PS5 at this point and the, no. the new ones. No, but I mean, the main thing that I notice on PS5 is the graphics are really good. Like, it's a fidelity thing, right? With just like frame rate and resolution and all that, the things you would expect. Um, but that's not even the best part. Like, the best improvement is the load times. Like, it saves so mm. much faster and it loads so much faster than what I was used to on PS4. That alone makes the next gen upgrade worth it for me because hitman levels are so complex and like intertwined that um there's a lot that goes into any individual like save file or loading a save file so when i would save or load on the ps4 it actually took quite a while on that base ps4 on ps5 it takes like a second it's like nothing and that makes a world of difference when you save scum or when you're just trying to play around with things and like save load save load which i do all the time yeah i was doing the same thing because i've downloaded hitman one on the I'm playing Hitman 1 on the PS5. And so on the PC, I remember it having really long load times, like you said, just on my ordinary you know, gaming PC. Never yeah. played it on the PS4, but the PS5, that really is the most useful thing about the entire machine is how quickly it loads. That they oh, weren't yeah. kidding when they did that. Like even like you were saying, the Hitman thing, it is noticeable indifference. Like it's worth the money for the time you save alone. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so all that to say, like, I like Hitman 3 a lot. It's really good. I want to get into the weeds a little bit here. Right, so of course. When you started out, the, the first thing I noticed is that, like, this game immediately presents some new types of challenges and, like, a different feel to the levels. And there's... So, like, the first level is a good example, right? I'm, I'm going to talk... I'm not going to talk about, like, story because there are actual course, spoilers right. if you care about the story. But I am going to talk about some, like, I guess you could consider them mechanical spoilers, but I just find them interesting. And if anything, I think this will get people, like, more interested in the game. So I'm not going to hold back on some of the mechanic stuff here. So the first level, when you start out, you can't bring any gear into the level. Like, you... The story for that part, which was in the announcement trailer, so I don't think it's a spoiler, but you, like, skydive in. And since you're skydiving in, you just don't have anywhere to put gear. So you basically enter the level with no gear on you. That mm. has never happened before in any of the other levels. Like, that in itself is a new thing, to, like, enter and not have information entering a level. Right. And you... So you don't have any gear. And the other thing is you don't have a map when you start, which, again, is something that just doesn't happen in these huh. levels. So it immediately throws this new twist at you, like, go find a map, go find some gear, like, figure it out. And that was really cool for me because I played the last two games. I think if this was your very first Hitman game, it might be a little too much friction for your very first level. Yeah, I could totally see that because part of the tutorial, even in the first one, is getting you used to what you're starting with and how you're getting like your kit together. So that uh, that would be very jarring to not have anything and you go in like trying to just strangle people and find stuff. Yeah, and it does change once you play through a level once because then you unlock right. more starting points. You unlock more disguises. You unlock more like the ability to bring in gear and, you know, smuggle in things into hidden compartments, just like all of the other levels of Hitman. Like 
it, it's interesting because I think they wanted to get more story heavy with Hitman 3. And the way that they did it, now that I've beaten the game and I can look back on it, um, I, I say beaten. What I really mean is I played through every level pretty in depth one time. So I've seen the story of Hitman 3. And what they did was they made a lot more story and scripted sequences on your very first time through a level so okay. each level after you finish it one time it opens up and it feels much more like a tradi- traditional well you know like hitman one and two like those open right. levels where you have um you have that planning phase you can bring whatever gear into planning you can choose your starting location you can choose um all your like undercover options for like what disguise you start in all of that is there after the first time through a level but your first time through it's not super on rails but it's more on rails than these games have ever been before because they're trying to tell you a story and it's a really interesting decision and it's not just like the first two i guess where you were picking it up side like on the side you would hear conversations and you would be snippets here and there to be able to piece together so this one they're actually telling you this narrative from point a to point b yeah and so one of the things that i picked up on is that um in this trilogy of games there is technically a canon assassination for each target that you've like Mm. taken out in these games and um i didn't really know that until this game came out and then i was like looking into it because this game drives you much more towards those canon assassinations on your very first time through a level so those like mission stories i've talked about before that act as kind of your onboarding and your tutorial through a level um this pushes you down those paths a lot more your first time through a level. And I think it's a really smart thing to do because those are the best place to start. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. I'm like, cause they tell you how to do it, like how you're supposed to do it first. And I was like, surely that's the canon ending, not something you have to figure out along the way. That would be almost like a hidden ending. Yeah. And well, one of the things in like Hitman one and two is that the story missions, they're usually like, five or six different story missions there's a lot of them um in this there's usually like two or three story missions so there's a lot less options but they're very much like here's where you go your first time through and here's how you get to this like canon assassination kill okay i gotcha yeah um and so that's kind of like their approach to it and there are six new levels so there's dubai which is like the it's the tallest building in the world which isn't a real building it's a made-up one for this game but that's fun you get a couple levels of verticality to it you know and like trying Mm -hmm. to infiltrate different levels of this tower um there's dartmoor england which is maybe one of my favorite levels in the game it's between this and one other for my favorite but this is kind of like murder mystery vibes and it kind of is reminiscent of like a knives out type of setting you know that's really awesome yeah like old upper crust people that are all like they don't like each other and like who killed who so that one is really fun because the obvious way to go through it the first time is there's right as you're starting and walking up to the level there is an investigator walking up he's a private detective you can take him out take his place and you can actually solve the entire murder mystery yourself that's fantastic yeah it was really really fun i like that level a lot there's berlin which is a nightclub and this is the one that throws one of the biggest curveballs at you from a mechanic standpoint you show up and because of some stuff that happens in the story you have no intel you have no Hmm. gear you have no handler which is like the first time that that has ever happened in one of these levels so you literally are just a guy walking around and it's like okay where's all my tools where are all my instructions what am i trying to do here and as you explore the level you find out that this place that you're in they have sent a bunch of agents after you and you don't know how many and you don't know who they are or where they are and so 
it's a completely different type of level because you have to discover who is after you and then you have to take them out before they can take you out. And it's like there's no other level in the entire trilogy that feels like this one. Yeah, that one sounds pretty interesting for you to be the one being hunted. Yes. And like I said, this one I need to go back and really dig into because it's it's structured unlike any other one in the game. But it also makes me think that like Hitman 3 just isn't the place that most people should start. Because if it was, this would be your third level playing. And I bet this would be extremely frustrating. Oh, yeah, I bet it would. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if you've not me, played any of the others, it's just like, OK, I yeah, know, what do I do now, guys? You know, for me, it's like level 14 or 15 out of this trilogy for somebody who's just coming into it. If this is level three, I bet you would just be like, what is even going on here? I don't get it. This is frustrating. Um, For me, it's thrilling because I'm like, this is new. Like, let's let's investigate. Um, So that one's really cool. There's uh, a China level where there are two targets that are kind of in these fortresses. One is like up in an apartment, like way high up. And there's one that's in a facility way underground. And they're like across the street from each other. So it's like working all the way up on one side of the street and then going across the street and working all the way down, which was kind of fascinating. Hmm. Um, There's a winery in Mendoza. And it goes from like all the way from a grape field to a winery, to a villa, to like a secret villain meeting lair. That one might also be my favorite. So those are kind of the two that I really liked was Dartmoor, the English setting, and then the winery. Those are like the two that stood out the most to me. So the secret villain meeting room, is it like one of those with the conference table with the hologram projector in the center <laughs> of it and, and like the big screens around the outside? It's like in the basement of a villa surrounded by ancient wine casks with like low lighting. But yes, it has the big conference room table where everybody can get together. Like I haven't actually triggered that sequence yet, but I'm really excited to go back and figure out like, how do I make this evil meeting happen? Because that sounds super fun. Yeah. You definitely have to do that. Yes. I'm excited to go back to that one. Um, And then the last one is the Carpathian mountains. And I don't want to give a ton away about this because it's like the most story driven one of the whole game. But I will say that it is not like any of the other Hitman levels. And the things I called out, um, like Berlin being different, right? Or like uh, Dartmoor, England, where you have this murder mystery. Those are different in interesting, twisty ways. This one is different. And I don't, it's the the last level is the only one that I kind of found disappointing. Like hmm. it does a really decent job at storytelling, but it's not this whole interconnected complex hitman level that you're used to with all these pieces that you can pull and tug and learn and interlocking systems. It is much more like a straightforward, almost like action set piece level just to tell the very end of this story. So when, when you said that, that's what I thought. Like when you're saying it wasn't one of those interconnected ones, I'm like, this one is probably I was sitting here really thinking, waiting, being like, this one is an action game level. Like usually yes. this isn't an action game. It's a stealth game. I was like, but if it's not like that, it would have to be an action game. Like it would yeah. be like a final level going through. And I don't know about the game itself, but I'm like, you know, Neo walking in and uh, mowing everyone down or John Wick going through and trying to get to his target. Yeah. And, you know, there's probably a way through this level to get like perfect silent assassin because they usually build that kind of thing in. But yeah. just to give you an idea, like most of the time when I beat a level, if I dive deep and I spend hours and hours on my first playthrough of a level, which is what I did on most of these, um, I will finish that level with like eh, maybe there are these mastery levels you get for like experiencing enough different content within the level. Um, 
if I dive super deep, I will get to mastery level maybe like six or seven, maybe eight, if I really explored a ton on my first playthrough and I did a lot of save, save scumming. And that's out of a total mastery level of 20 on that individual mm. level. Um, on the very last level, I got full mastery level my first time through without even trying in about 20 minutes. Wow. So it's like there's just not as much to dig into there. So you kind of have to set your expectations accordingly. Um, so if you are picking up Hitman 3 and you've already played 1 and 2, expect five new really, really good Hitman levels and then a sixth one that's really just like a storytelling level at the end. That's really just finishing the series. That That is, yes. since you said it was a storytelling game this time, that one is a storytelling level. Right, exactly. But overall, I mean, you know, five new amazing levels, that's nothing to complain about. Like, I really, really like this game. And I know that other people have really liked this game, too. Like, I don't know anything. Let me let me take that back. I know that people I know, I don't know about the reviews, but I know that people in the geek to geek community have really liked this game. And so they've been waiting on this episode so to hear you talk about it before they really started up a conversation on Discord about it. So it makes me happy that it was good enough for this many people just to be like excited and anticipatory to talk about this game. Like, it makes me excited to eventually get to it because I'm always slow on games like this. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, it's really interesting, too, because some of the things they're doing on your first time through a level or the storytelling that kind of, you know, puts rails on you just a little bit more than normal, I bet that that affected reviewers in interesting ways. Because I saw some, like, a mixed bag from all the reviews that I read, and Uh most of them were good, but some of them were almost complaining about, like, oh, the story takes a little too much precedence. Like, I didn't get to play around enough in the levels. And I could see that if you were writing a review under a deadline, and you had to get it done right now, and you only had time to play each level once. I could totally see why you would come away from it feeling like that. As soon as you play through a level a second time, you go, oh, it opens up. It's like all the other Hitman levels. Like, it's just as complicated, and there's just as much to do here. It's just that it's not that very first time, which right. that's how I don't know how many how I don't know how different people play this game. I don't know if more people are like you going back into it and playing it a lot or if they generally go through just one playthrough like I tend to do on most of the games. Although with these, I do go back multiple times because it opens up new like story stuff. But yeah, it's interesting that uh, to think about the reviewers being under a completely different type of gameplay. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's worth saying that even if you are someone who just wants to play through to beat them, these are still good games. You know, like you could play through Hitman 1, 2, and 3, each of them as just a standalone. I'm going to play through each level one time. And each game would probably take you, you know, 8 to 10 hours, like a mm-hmm. kind of normal AAA action type game. Um you can play it that way. There's nothing wrong with that. So it's still totally valid. I will say that if you're as bad at them as I am, it might be 15 to 20 hours because I find myself having to save scum a lot after a lot of frustration. Um, like <laughs> well, I'm, have... I'm not good at doing some of the more complicated stealth. Well, if you're still playing Hitman 1, the one of the biggest improvements they made in 2 and then it carried over into 3 is making those main story missions a lot more obvious and holding your hand through them better. Uh, yeah. So like there are actual waypoints and it's like step by step. Here's what you do. Here's your very next thing. Oh, um, yeah. 
And I think that a lot of that was missing in Hitman 1, and it makes a world of difference in Hitman 2 and 3. But then they retroactively applied it all back to that Hitman 1 if you're playing them in, like, the Hitman 3 client. You know what I mean? Okay. So I actually do need to go open up the Hitman 2 client then to play those Hitman 1 levels that it downloaded and are on my PS5 right now, actually, but I just haven't done with the updated client. So, yes, if you own two and you have all the content from one in it, you will have a much better experience playing those levels through the Hitman 2 client. Or, you know, if listeners out there have Hitman 3, playing Hitman 1 levels through the Hitman 3 client is a better experience than going back and playing that game on its own. That's that's good to know. And I like how they have, every time they've done this, that they've kind of remade these levels with the graphics and engine of the new one where it never looks or feels like it's wrong. You know, like you're playing an old level, like a remastered kingdom hearts game where it's like, Oh yeah, Yeah. that's definitely an earlier game where this time that doesn't happen. It's all one seamless experience. No, it, I went back and I was playing Paris level the other day just for fun because all the levels are still great. I still go back all the way to the beginning of him and one and mess around in those levels because these games are good for that. And I had forgotten about some of the engine upgrades, like the fact that they made mirrors actually work in Hitman 2 and 3. And so a couple of the things that I used to do in Hitman 1 in the Paris level, I can't get away with anymore because people will see me in the mirror. And I was like, oh, right. Mirrors work now. It was just, it was funny. It's stuff like that. That would be really hard to deal with. Like, I understand them doing it. I'm glad they were able to do that. But man, that would be very hard on some of those levels. Like, Man, that would be tough. Yeah. So um, I did want to say it's really cool that all your progress carries forward. Um, As a word of warning, if you have Hitman 2 progress and you are going to carry it to Hitman 3, you can only do it one time and it only goes one direction and it will overwrite any of your Hitman 3 progress. So basically, Ah. make sure that you do your carryover before you start playing the first level in Hitman 3. Otherwise, you're going to be disappointed later. That's good to know. I hate it when that happens. Like I've I've lost lots of games by doing that. Yeah, and I but hate it, restarting. So like right. that's a pet peeve of mine is I hate having to just restart a game for no reason or for an arbitrary reason. So that would just make me angry. But like you know, I had I think like a two hundred mastery level in Hitman Two, and everything carried forward except for one gadget that's no longer forward compatible because they realized huh. it was kind of breaking the game. So oh. Yeah, there's literally only one thing didn't carry forward into the new client, and it was a tool that I never used anyway, so I was like, meh, whatever. What is it? Um, It's one of the phones that can electrocute people. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, I guess it was game-breaking in a couple ways, so they're like, yeah, that's not going to be in Hitman 3, but everything else would carry forward. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, The one other thing that I wanted to say here is because i knew that i was going to end up talking about a bunch of the world of assassination and how it all ties together is what to recommend if you want to get into this game and you don't have any of them yet um i don't think you should go back and pick up hitman one if you see it on sale if you see hitman 2 on super sale that's probably a good one to pick up i think hitman 2 is a great starting spot you can carry all your progress from hitman 2 to hitman 3 Um, And you can download all of the Hitman 1 levels in the Hitman 2 client. So if you see it on sale, which it goes on sale a lot, and if it's super cheap, which it is a lot, Hitman 2 is actually still a really good place to start. If you never want to mess with moving any of your progress between anything at all, if you all want it to just be the best engine, the best client all in one place, and you haven't bought anything, you should go buy Hitman 3 and then not play the Hitman 3 levels right away. You should buy the... (laughs) It's such a weird recommendation, but you should buy Hitman 3 
and then immediately buy like the content from Hitman 1 and start there because that's probably the best starting spot. I'm curious on how that would work if you already have like because I downloaded Hitman 1 on PS Plus, but then it started downloading them in the PS or the Hitman 2 engine after I did that. And it was all these different levels that I didn't actually have Hitman 2. So I'm curious if people like me who have it through a service like that, if they get Hitman 3, if that kind of stuff will be included since they have access to those old games through their account. Yeah, I listened to it. Which just uh, makes it more complicated with the stuff that they do. Uh, So it's just lots of things. It is. So I was listening to um, an interview with one of the developers, and one of the things they're super proud of is being able to have all the levels under one game client in the end, right? Yeah. But they said that one of the hardest parts from them for launch day was that they ended up having to have like 50 different SKUs for all the different permutations of like which game content you have in which other game in which client, and that it's just kind of confusing for people. That would be my, I didn't even think about that part of it, like the business end of it, man. Yep. So there's a lot there. So yeah, my recommendation is um, if you ever see Hitman 2 on Super Sale and you don't mind carrying progress over later, that's a good spot. Otherwise, just buy Hitman 3 and know that you should probably start with some of the earlier levels, even though it's going to be a DLC purchase. It's totally worth the money. Or... Just wait, because I'm sure at some point they're going to roll out a Game of the Year edition or a World of Assassination Trilogy edition that just has everything in one package. I can't imagine that's more than like six or 12 months off. Yeah, I mean, it's usually about this one will hit on sale in about July. And then, and yes, I said it just specifically for you, July. Thank you, I appreciate it. And uh, that I assume that then this one will be that that. This one will be discounted in July, and then the next one will be uh, coming out with a game of the year or something at that point. The the pass will be mega discounted or something. Yeah. And then one final thought before we jump off Hitman 3, even though I love this game. I'm going to talk about it more in Geek Green future weeks, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned how hilarious this game is. I know It that is I've- really funny. I know that I've mentioned that this is my favorite puzzle game ever and that it's not really about assassination and killing. It's much more about puzzles and systems, which throws people off because it doesn't seem like it would be. I still stand by this. This is absolutely my favorite puzzle game ever made. But this is also the funniest game I have ever played. And I don't know if I've mentioned that. This is a humor game. Yeah, this is a humor game through and through. And the thing is, it plays it straight. But it lets you in on the joke. Like, once you realize how much they're just playing it straight, but they're willing to be hilarious about it in the background if you're willing to roll with it, it is just, it's so funny. Like, I don't even know how to explain it or do it justice, but this is legitimately the funniest game that I've ever played. It's it's hard to describe because it's very meta humor, the way yes. that they do it, where it's not so much as like somebody, it, it's telling a joke. It's not like you're getting, you know, rubber chickens thrown at the screen or something, which I wish it would because that would be funny. But it's always, it's the way people interact once you do something. It's how you can make these different people interact. Or if you do something in a butcher shop and one of them, it like, one of the characters will run out and start yelling at somebody for stealing ham or something like that. It's, it's just small things that are like, you wouldn't expect to be in a game like this, but it's hilarious when they happen. Well, and it's like the fact that agent 47, when he switches disguises, he kind of rubs his arms slightly for half a second and then boom, he's in the new disguise fully changed. You know, (laughs) 
it's stuff like that. It's that they suspend disbelief about the fact that Agent 47 can be in, you know, 10 or 15 different disguises in every level, and no one ever sees through his disguise. You can have this long, in-depth interaction between two characters that you watch play out for a while, and then one of the characters, like, walks to the bathroom, and you knock them out, you change your clothes, you walk out of the bathroom, and the other character interacts with you as if you were the person they were just talking to. Like, Mm -hmm. it's stuff like that, where... It's so funny, but they just play it so straight that it works. Yeah, it's it's there's I can't remember exactly what it was, but there's one particular interaction that I had in I think it's Spain in the first one, maybe, where you can get a plague doctor outfit where I was just able to mess with people in that one. And it was just hilarious the way people would react to me and like maybe seeing me out the corner of their eye. It was it's fantastic. Oh, it's so good. Okay, I'll talk about this more in future weeks, but I just had to get all that out there because I've been playing it and loving this game. Um, don't forget, we are part of a network. We have podcasts, we have streamers, we have the Geekery blog, all that and more at geek2geekmedia.com, or you can go to geek2geekmedia.com slash subscribe to get it sent right to you. And we also have a digital magazine called Press Start, where what is the latest with that? We We just released the newest issue in January here. It is our wellness and gaming issue, and it is completely open to the public. Like, we've opened it up. All the issue, all the individual articles in the issue are open and uh, published where you can read them. You don't have to be a subscriber. You can download the entire issue uh, and read all of the stuff, and it is fantastic. We have mental health issues on how Farming Simulator really helps uh, beat depression in a lot of ways and give some sort of solace when you're dealing with that from you know recommendations on how to be just a little more active while you're gaming and it's kind of stuff like you've done about putting like a tv in front of your treadmill that kind of stuff it's it's just a really really good issue we're really proud of it and it is free so if you go to patreon.com slash geek to geekcast you will check it out tell your friends and subscribe and see all the rest of the back issues And we're going to start this coming month in February, always making one of the articles open uh, and unlocked to uh, the public so that y'all can always read part of it and decide if that's the issue that you want to subscribe on. Awesome. And that brings us to Weekly Geekery, where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. What have you been up to? So not much. Um, Being sick is a big part of it. But I've been listening to The Adventure Zone. And I am halfway through the very, very final episode right now. I haven't been able to finish it. And I really, really enjoy this story. Like, I love these characters. I've talked about, you know, a couple episodes back on how this really helped me through the, uh, the hard time at the end of December. And I will say, though, that the final two arcs are wearing a little thin on me. Like, it's so much more narration. It's so much more on-rail storytelling where his where his family, where the, the characters get to do so much less. And they're not even part of part of it. So, like, a lot of it is like, then he's like, and then we zoom in on this and we see this. And then he hops back to a completely different place for his characters. And I'm like, that's weird D&D storytelling to me. Like, I don't. It doesn't really fit right to me that when he started doing more of that, it's uh, I'm wondering if he does that a lot more in the other arcs that are after this, too. No, not really. I think it's more just that he was trying to wrap up everything for the finale. Like, it didn't bother me that much. But then again, I've listened to the balance arc probably five or six times. So I knew what to expect. 
Um, and I can absolutely see myself doing that in the future, like starting yeah. over again, because it's been about a year and a half to two years, I think, since I listened to the first probably 20 episodes of it. So I really do want to go back and listen to those and see how they started and, you know, the Lost Minds of Fandelver. Yes, Lost Minds of Fandelver and all of that stuff. So it's, yeah. but it's fantastic. Like this is absolutely one of my favorite stories that I've heard in so long. That's awesome. I'm glad that you like it. Like it is great, and I can't wait to listen to the to the next uh, the next couple of the the arcs they do, and see if I like them as much with them not being Dungeons and Dragons. I am also interested to see what you think. And uh, so I'm listening to that, and then video games have not been able to keep my attention. Like there's been the last couple of months, like I've not been able to focus on a video game for longer than about 10 minutes at a time that whatever I start, I just kind of look at. And I'm like, OK, and then I, I just don't care. I'm not into it. But the only things that are keeping my attention are those stupid mobile games. Those are five mm. on five arena battlers because they're kind of mindless. I can close them off and still come back immediately to where I was. Yeah. And we're Marvel Strike Force and Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. And because of that, like I finally got some of the rare, hard to get characters uh, like Phoenix and Commander Luke Skywalker. Like they were at, you know, a little while ago before I quit, like the most powerful characters when you had them. So I'm actually making good progress in the games. Uh, so at least I don't feel like it's just, uh, you know, a clicker that I'm doing something where I'm like, oh, I've earned that. Like I had a plan and I went through this and I did this. So I'm excited about that. But those are about the only video games that I can, I can really care about right now just because of how my brain just moves back and forth between things so quickly. Yeah. You've had a lot going on though. That makes sense. Yeah. So having something small and bite-sized that if I want to put more time in, I can do like raids or something like that. And if not, it's like, okay, I'm going to auto run these missions and turn it off. That kind of thing's really helped me. And at night, I've finally finished, since November, I finally finished Stormlight Archive 4. I finally finished Rhythm of War and got through the new, uh, through all of the uh, Cosmere stuff that's out right now. This and is still on my to-read list. Is it good? Yes. Okay. I, okay, so this one had an almost Red Dead Redemption place for me, where I didn't know if I liked it or not. I kept reading it because I knew I loved the series, but I wasn't sure if I liked this book and was having fun reading it. And even though it kept getting my attention, it kept making me want to read it and move forward. The way and the structure and the characters that he was focusing on to tell the story weren't necessarily my favorite. And it was probably my least favorite way that he told a story throughout the entire thing. When you get to the last quarter or third of this book, it picks up and is absolutely worth putting all the rest of it through. All the stuff that I have complained about and that I've even kept to myself and didn't complain to people about, that's like, oh, this this is the part that I don't like. It's fixed. Like, they're really getting into the, the end game on this one. And it is 100% obvious that the next book is the end of this particular arc. Oh, that he has set things up where the next book absolutely is going to be the the return of the king, you know, getting everything all at once. And I can't even imagine what the second arc in the series is going to be because he said it's going to be a 10 book series, but two five book stories. Yeah. Uh, so 
I don't know if those, you know, he hasn't said if he has, then somebody tell me because I haven't seen it, uh, that he is, uh, I don't know if he's going to have these same characters or not, or at what point the story is going to take place before, or after, you know, anything. I know nothing about what the second half of this series is going to look like, but the end of four has absolutely set up for five. And then this is going in a, this is going to be, the end and it's going to be explosive finale kind of way. And there's so much in this book that I wouldn't understand if I hadn't read all of the previous Cosmere over a year, whenever I did that before book three came out that if I hadn't read some of those, uh, those short stories and things like that, that tied together, like the Kelsier short story from Mistborn, there are things that are going on in this that I would have no clue what they're talking about. Like he absolutely is putting this together as a, as a story for his fans who have read a lot of books because now we're not into stormlight books anymore. We're into Cosmere territory uh, by the end of book four. So if you haven't read that in a while, read a couple of those short stories because I guarantee you it's going to make a lot more sense by the end of this. Okay, yeah, I gotta get back and read that one. If it, I'm kind of intimidated excellent. because I feel like I need more context, but I think the way I'm going to do it is to just dive into it, and I'll figure it out as I go, or I'll just text you with questions if I get yep. confused. And uh, I know Demai on uh, Twitter and uh, Demai Snowfell and uh, Demai on, on Discord, it's his favorite as well. He knows a lot more about it than I do. And there's so much wiki documentation out there. Like you can find the summaries and everything so easily now. Like I can't, I can't recommend you getting into this one enough. Like it may frustrate you as you move forward through it. Like it did for me. I'm like, why am I spending all this time on 1300 pages? I don't even know if I like this. And then at the end of it, I was like, I need book five right now, please. Like, please, I need it. I I don't want to wait another two years on this. I'm like, Mr. Sanderson, I need this right now, please. And like, I don't want to read anything else. Like I'm stuck on what to read now. And I was so excited to get done with it, to get back to the wheel of time or to get into some of like the Dragonlance books that, uh, that I've been excited to get into. But now I'm just like, oh, these aren't as good. Like this isn't, this isn't a Stormlight book. Should I, should I just go back and read Mistborn again? (laughs) It's like, I'm so like I didn't think I liked this book, and then I realized that I really, truly did. Like it tells a fantastic story, and it makes sense why he told it the way that he did uh, when he did it. So I, I gotta, I guess I gotta respect him and and make you know he knows what he's doing. Yeah, so, cool. but it's really good. Like I think you will like it when you get back into it. Um, definitely be intimidated. Like there's a lot to be intimidated by on this one, um, but it's uh, there's stuff you can look up on like when they start using names and things like that. You're like, why? What is that? And it's like, oh, yeah, that was from a short story like seven years ago. But he's tying it all together now. All right. Yep. It's on my list. I will push it higher on the list and get yep. to it soon ish. I'll do it's it. Super, I will at some point. It's super good. And I completely understand one of the things about this one as well. And it might be, you know, because of my own interests and it might be because of, of the way that I've talked to Demai about stuff. But this one puts mental health. This one puts mental health and handling trauma at the forefront. That is what this book is about. This book is about handling trauma and dealing and getting help for mental illness. And uh, not even, not only say mental illness, mental health uh, and making sure that you're taking care of yourself. That's what this book is about. And by the end of it, I'm like, yeah, 
he did that right. And uh, so I like it. I, I can't recommend it enough. Cool. Um, for me, for Weekly Geekery this week, uh, I have a couple quick hits here because I knew I was going to talk for a while about Hitman. Right. Um, and that's really what I've been doing this week. But I'm still working through stuff that I did over break. So I still have multiple pages of that that I'm picking away at. Um, <laughs> my kids got Lego Mario for Christmas and we got them like uh, start, or the base set and then some expansion packs. Yeah. And it's really cool for kids. Like, I, I don't know how much I would enjoy it on my own as an adult, but, like, watching my kids build the levels and then me going and, like, interacting and playing with that with them has been really fun. You can make custom levels. You can make the ones that they recommend out of the book, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, there's, like, a warp pipe. There's Mario, and Mario has... The way that it works is he has some kind of, like, optical scanner underneath him mm-hmm. by his feet. And so, like, you put him in a warp pipe, and it knows that it's in a warp pipe. And so it starts a timer that counts down and then you like move him through the level and it'll see what type of like color is underneath him Mm -hmm. so it has different things to interact with if you're like over lava versus water versus grass um and it scans the different like things that you can jump on like goombas and you know uh you can scan like picking up coins and hitting blocks and i don't know i was just really impressed by how much it could do and it was cool my kids were having a bunch of fun with the sets, so i just wanted to give it a quick shout out because it was fun and i've enjoyed seeing them get creative with it it is a really fun set like i that was the first lego set that i've put together in years and years and years and my wife got me the yoshi one a while back that i haven't put together yet but i'm excited too because i just i just enjoy these this set like it's fun to put together yeah, it's cool. Um, and then I watched a couple more things. So I watched Tenant over break, which was good, I think, but kind of trippy. Um, it's a time travel movie, which I had no idea going into it. I just knew it was a Christopher Nolan movie, which it does feel like one of those, too. I knew it I, was a timey-wimey movie. I didn't know if it was time travel. I knew that there was some sort of time mechanic that drove the story. But uh, it's, but yeah, I want to see it. I need to just sit down and watch it. It's both. It's timey-wimey and it's time travel. It's interesting. Um, I think it's very worth seeing once. I don't know how much it'll hold up on later viewings. Maybe on like a second viewing, you might catch a couple more things. But it reminds me a lot of like Inception, where the first time you see it, it's kind of like mind-blowing. And you're like, what's going on? I'm trying to figure it out and right. piece it together as I watch through. Because it's a long movie. It's like two and a half hours or two hours. You know, whatever. It's a longer movie. Yeah. Um, And so I had fun trying to figure it out as the movie went on. But now that I know the twist to it, I don't know if I would enjoy it as much on later viewings. It's not going to become one of my favorite movies, but it was good to see one time, I think, is where I landed with it. Okay, that's kind of the way I am with a lot of Christopher Nolan movies, because I really like them, but they are so intense that it's like, "Mm, maybe not right now. And uh, I was at a conference earlier last year, uh, right before the pandemic, like when we only had like one or two diagnosed cases in the United States, like what a time. And I was uh, in Phoenix and we were about to go out and do something as a team, as a, as a group. And we were sitting in our Airbnb and um, um, Interstellar was on TV, just kind of put it on. And me, my boss and one of my teammates just sat there in the, in the living room of that Airbnb and just watched the re- like interstellar until we realized that we were running late and we're like, but there's still so much left to go, but it's so much fun to watch. It's like, it's those kind of movies that yeah. Christopher Nolan makes. And I can like, that's how I'll watch Christopher Nolan movies generally is like, I'll see it or I'm like, yeah, maybe part of that one right now, but it's rarely a full one at any time. 
yeah so it was like i said that's kind of where i landed is like i recommend it once and i don't know about after that um and then i also watched bridgerton which i haven't talked about on this podcast yet but like i i love a good english costume drama with intrigue and it's one of those things that i just don't talk about a ton on this podcast i'm not ashamed of it it just doesn't come up that often because i know it's not something you are really into um but this is one of those. So, you know, kind of like Downton Abbey or uh, The Crown in some ways, like some of those kind of English costume drama shows that I'm into. Yeah. It's like that, except it's an alternate history fictional London and it's a Shondaland show. So if you guys know what Shondaland is, it's like Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, those kind of like drama and intrigue shows. It's that, but set in uh, alternate history London and it's really, really good. I like this show a lot. Is it actually done by Shonda Rhimes? Yeah, yeah. No, it's by Shondaland. So, like, yeah. her production company, and she's, like, one of the creators of it. And um, it's, you know, it's kind of like Grey's Anatomy by way of Downton Abbey, almost, in a way. And the thing that I like about it a lot is that it is made for streaming. So the thing I don't like about a lot of those other shows is that they have an interesting season arc, but it's crammed into, not crammed into, it's stretched out over 22 or 24 episodes, right? Yeah. Um, this is like eight episodes, just like it's, it's streaming, right? It's that normal streaming format where they just get it done and every episode moves the story forward. And I love that about it too. Yeah. I don't, th- I, I've seen the trailer I've seen everyone talk about how good it is, but I don't like Shondaland shows, so I'm sure. probably going to pass on that one. But Jennifer wants to watch it at some point, I think, so I'll probably just be sitting in there while she watches it. And there's a good chance I'll get hooked into it. I mean, I did with like the Queen's Gambit and other stuff, but uh, Aquafina from Queens on HBO Max is excellent. I got pulled into it the same way, where I was just like, I knew I'd like it if I watched it. And so I... Uh, I watched it and I loved it. And so I'm sure Bridgerton will be the same thing. It's just one that I'm not going to go out of my way to watch, but I'm sure I'll like it when when I actually see it. Yeah. One well, the one other thing I'd say about it is um it for people who have watched other Shondaland shows, like they have adult situations that come up sometimes, but you could watch it with your kid in the room because like it's network TV. You cannot watch this show with your kid in the room. Like this is very much an adult show it leans into the fact that it's streaming and it's unrated and all of the things that that brings with it um it doesn't necessarily focus on those or feel gratuitous in those ways the way that some streaming shows do but there are moments of like oh yeah this is a very adult show so yeah i'll just give that warning up front don't watch this one with your kids around yeah um i didn't know i couldn't tell from the from the trailer that they have at what level of maturity it was yeah um but it's good it's good so i give it an endorsement for adults to watch it was really good um that's probably it for this week we'll be back next week you guys can write to us with comments suggestions or feedback our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on twitter at geek2geekcast and we also have some great discussions on Slack and Discord. Uh, you can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links. And while you're there, make sure to check out all the other content on the network. We have blogs and video game reviews. And like we mentioned earlier, our digital magazine, Press Start. I blog at agreenmushroom.com and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm also on the Disney Forever podcast where we watch and react to a different Disney movie every week. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beej with two E's. And I also co-host the Dragon Quest FM podcast, a show about the Square NX RPG series. 
We've been Void and Beach with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, everybody. When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the geek to geek Media Network. A community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community. All dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like... Video games. Star Wars. Comics. Movies. K-pop. Disney Plus. Keanu. Keanu Reeves. New. Or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. Yep. And each other in real time. And we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes. Keanu.